1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Lightspeed First Quarter 2021 Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star, then the number one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's call is being recorded. And at this time, I would like to turn the conference over to our speaker, Mr. Chris Mamoni. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, operator,
3: and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lightspeed's fiscal first quarter 2021 conference call. Joining me today are Dax Da Silva, Lightspeed's founder and CEO, Brandon Nussi, chief financial officer, and JP Chauvet, president of Lightspeed. After prepared remarks, we will open it up to your questions. We will make forward-looking statements on our call today that are based on assumptions and therefore subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected. We undertake no obligation to update these statements except as required by law. You can read about these risks and uncertainties in our earnings press release issued earlier today, as well as in our filings with Canadian Securities Regulatory Authorities. Also, our commentary today will include adjusted financial measures, which are non-IFRS measures. These should be considered as a supplement to and not a substitute for IFRS financial measures. Reconciliations between the two can be found in our earnings press release, which is available on our website and at CR.com. And finally, note that because we report in U.S. dollars, all amounts discussed today are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise indicated. With that, I will now turn the call over to Dax.
4: Thanks, Chris. Our solid execution this past quarter under historically challenging conditions worldwide helped to cement Lightspeed's position as a leading cloud-based omnichannel solution in our segment. Nimble and innovative SMBs rising to the occasion are abandoning inadequate legacy systems in both the merchant points of sale and payment spaces in favor of Lightspeed's modern cloud-based platforms, gaining these businesses the capability to run digital strategies alongside physical ones in a simple and integrated manner. The global pandemic has altered consumer behavior in everlasting ways and accelerated the next three to five years' worth of adoption of omnichannel strategies for s bs in both the retail and hospitality sectors. The digital transformation forced by COVID-19 has become a permanent state of business. Retailers have doubled down on a shift to omnichannel that was already underway before the pandemic. Plans to overhaul operations in the next few years were accelerated, and businesses were brought online overnight. The hospitality sector, from quick to fine is in a similar state of digital transformation, driven by new consumer needs. As new challenges and consumer behaviors emerge, so does the opportunity for small and medium-sized businesses worldwide to build truly end-to-end multi-channel shopping and dining experiences with Lightspeed. It is a moment to be seized on, facilitated only by the right technology. LightSuite has been a clear beneficiary of these digitization tailwinds. Total revenue grew by 51% compared to the same quarter a year ago and topped $36 million. More than 90% of this base consists of recurring software and payments revenue, which grew 57% during the first quarter compared to the same quarter a year ago. The scale and diversity of our customer base has served us well in light of the pace of recovery and reopening markets. As LightSuite's core business, has seen a return to levels ahead of last year, driven by strong merchant adoption of omnichannel software and integrated payments. According to our internal data, Lightspeed retail merchants grew their GTV more than four to six times faster year over year than the industry average retail GTV in 2019. All indications are that our merchants have continued to enjoy this level of success during the pandemic. We've seen retail GTV continue to accelerate through June, and our restaurant GTV has bounced back sharply, evidence that the resilience of our customer base remains strong. Our customers are well-established, innovative industry leaders, ready to evolve with the new commerce economy, inspired to amplify their sales channels, and eager to use technology to future-proof their business for these increasingly digital and virtual realities. Fortunately, this inevitable shift is happening at a time when product innovation at light speed is accelerating. Ensuring that we have the right set of solutions in place as our customers rely on us more than ever to enable their digitization journeys. On the retail omnichannel front, we rolled out major improvements to our digital checkout experience, including the availability of our new Mobile Tap custom hardware and software mobile POS solution, which extends the sales perimeter to anywhere inside the store as well as outside to curbside pickup. And we're now offering digital wallets which supports a broad range of payment methods globally in a secure and seamless one-click e-commerce checkout experience, driving improved conversion online. Our retail POS app saw further upgrades to its analytics capability with the rollout of Analytics Core, a slimmed-down version of our analytics module at a lower price point for customers that, for now, don't require the full solution. By offering a tiered product for reporting, it gives our merchants greater options to grow with Lightspeed at the pace of their business. This further builds upon the inventory management and point-of-sale upgrades we rolled out throughout this past fiscal year to solidify our status as the premier solution in cloud-based retail POS. In this regard, we believe no other retail system operates with the power, depth, and sophistication of features required by our segment of merchants, further appealing also to merchants that may have fewer requirements at the outset but want to do more with technology to differentiate their business in this environment. There's a ton happening also within restaurant. First, I'm pleased to share that we've launched our order ahead capability, featuring enhanced pickup and delivery tools and other integrations. Also, our new e-commerce for restaurant offering is now in beta and features a complete redesign to better fit the evolving needs of customers. Yet another example of rapid innovation from Lightspeed in the Hospitality Vertical. Finally, the full convergence of our hospitality engineering teams globally into our flagship restaurant POS products will be completed on schedule during the current quarter. A fully redesigned hospitality system, delivering on the Lightspeed promise of greatly simplifying complex hospitality workflows, will be rolled out to all of our regions methodically over the next several months. Last quarter, we announced our new omni-channel loyalty customer engagement tool, to help Lightspeed merchants across our entire landscape foster personalized, targeted relationships cohesively within their clientele, across channels, In a moment where this means more to business success than ever, we've seen strong initial adoption of this new product. As our customers begin to switch focus from stabilizing their operations today to optimizing their future growth, we're very excited to be announcing the initial availability of Lightspeed Capital for our U.S. retail customer base. For those customers utilizing Lightspeed payments, our new capital offering will assist these SMBs with fast access to up to $50,000 in funds per location that they can use to invest in their businesses much more quickly than they'd be able to accomplish with traditional banks. With LightSeed Capital, SMBs benefit from a much shorter application and eligibility process versus all of the bureaucracy and paperwork they encounter with traditional financial institutions. Our pre-integration with these customer systems provides us with the data and comfort to offer frictionless approval standards. This streamlined process is very important during the pandemic as it gives SMB's capacity to be nimble and strategic as the retail industry undergoes significant transformation. In addition to the foregoing, we will continue investing through this period to ensure our technology remains at the cutting edge of the industry and that we remain the clear leader for our focused market segments. The importance of our work has never been more crucial and as such, the market opportunity for Lightspeed has never been bigger. That said, the importance of going to market globally as one Lightspeed is paramount. To this end, we've made great progress in terms of the major rebranding initiative we've had underway to fold in the systems, processes, and feature sets of our acquired platforms as one Lightspeed, offering all core products in all core markets. At this stage, both the Chronogolf and iCan2 brands have been completely rebranded as Lightspeed. We expect to complete this same exercise for Counta later this summer, and for Gastrofix to achieve this status by the end of the calendar year. I'd now like to highlight some recent successes within our partner strategy as yet another lever we are utilizing to bolster our go-to-market approach. Lightspeed works with many great partners to help our complex SMB customers manage all aspects of commerce in their business. We're thrilled to welcome Google into the Lightspeed ecosystem as one of our newest strategic partners. With Google, we're working on several broad-based initiatives to make physical businesses more discoverable in the digital space. The first of these initiatives is the Google My Business Advanced Profile Listing Solution. Currently in beta, Google My Business greatly enhances the speed to market for Lightseed customers, compressing the lead time it takes to get a professional business listing set up and running online from what had been a multi-week process down to just a few days. Before I conclude my remarks, I would like to once again thank the Lightspeed family for the tenacity they have shown over the last few months. They continue to deliver for our merchants every single day. They live and breathe our company mission of bringing cities and communities to life through the economic empowerment of SMBs. They believe deeply that all communities and all entrepreneurs deserve to be successful. That is why I founded Lightspeed 15 years ago. The team I did so with was unique as we identified entirely as members of the LGBTQIA community. We built the principles of diversity and inclusion into the very DNA of this company. This year, our inaugural global diversity and inclusion survey showed that nearly one in five Lightspeeders identify as LGBTQIA Nine out of 10 Lightspeeders report that they felt comfortable talking about their culture and background with their colleagues, while 83% of Lightspeeders feel that they can be their authentic selves in the workplace. I'm exceptionally proud of the culture and family we have fostered here at Lightspeed, especially during the last few challenging months. In closing, the coronavirus pandemic has made it clear to our merchants that the cloud-based omni-channel solution Lightspeed provides is no longer simply a competitive advantage, but a business imperative as we move forward. Our merchants have demonstrated that they are the thought leaders that will redesign the retail and hospitality experiences of the future to shore up the economies and livelihoods of the communities that love and appreciate them now more than ever. With that, I'll turn it over to Brandon to review the quarter and our recent business trends.
2: Thanks, Dax.
5: Overall, we've recorded another positive quarter in the face of a challenging macro environment. Last quarter, we commented that the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic would accelerate the move away from legacy systems as SMBs adjusted their business priorities. Our first quarter results reinforce this belief and signal strength for the long-term prospects of the business. Recapping the first quarter, total revenue is $36.2 million, up from $24.1 million a year ago, representing growth of 51%. Software and payments revenue was 57% higher than a year ago at $33.4 million. When excluding our recent acquisitions of GastroFix, Counta, and ican 2 software and payments revenue grew by 34% from the first quarter a year ago. EBITDA loss for the quarter was $2.2 million compared to $5.1 million a year ago. We ended the quarter with over 77,000 customer locations, and our GTV for the quarter was $5.4 billion, up 17% from a year ago. Over the past 12 months, our GTV was over 23 billion, up almost 50% from the same period a year ago. We ended the quarter with unrestricted cash on hand of approximately $204 million. So it was a great quarter for us, all things considered. Looking at some of the specific business trends we saw in the quarter, I'll start with the most encouraging, which was the pace of new business. As mentioned earlier, we feel the long-term outlook for new customer wins will be accelerated given the push to omni-channel cloud solutions, and to see the pace of new business be as strong as it was in the quarter I view as a very positive sign. Mm -hmm. Overall, despite the challenges faced by our end markets, we grew our customer base in the quarter over 77,000 customer locations, up from 75,500 at the end of April. This was driven by accelerated new customer ads through the quarter, with each month stronger than the month before it. By June, we had added 23% more locations than June of last year, and 63% more than we added in April. Of course, partially offsetting this was higher levels of churn. While churn has improved each month from the levels we saw in March and April, we expect heightened churn to continue for the foreseeable future as the industry grapples with social distancing mandates. While business failure in our SMB customer base is outside of our control, as Dax mentioned earlier, the Lightspeed customer base overall is proving to be resilient and generally outperforming the broader industry. We saw this in our GTV trends. And aggregate GTV rebounded nicely in the quarter from the lows we saw in late March and early April, and by June, we were seeing organic growth return. On the back of strong performance in some of our verticals, such as bike, home and garden, sporting goods, and golf, our retail segment globally saw growth in GTV over 30% in June compared to June of the prior year. For the quarter overall, growth was 13%, overcoming the initial slowness we saw in April. Within retail, we saw e-commerce growth of close to 100% in the quarter versus the prior year. And by the end of the quarter, we were seeing a strong resurgence in volumes in our physical spaces as well. Our restaurant segment also bounced back sharply. As mentioned, last quarter, our restaurant volumes were down by 80% or more in the last week of March and into April. However, by the end of June, we saw overall restaurant GTV get back to its pre-COVID levels. As a reminder, the majority of our restaurant customers are in international markets outside of North America, and this diversity is proving to be an asset as countries and economies around the world recover at differing rates. And finally, last quarter, I noted that less than 5% of our customers were on paused subscription plans. Those are now reduced to a negligible amount as customers have become transactional again. So all told, the health of our customer base continues to be encouraging as these businesses leverage our omnichannel solutions. Our retail segment is growing, and our restaurant segment is recovering, which leads us to payments. Lightspeed Payments continued its rapid growth trajectory in the quarter. As mentioned last quarter, despite overall lower GTV in April, we saw a record month for Lightspeed Payments in April. We saw that not only continue, but accelerate further as a quarter progressed. Overall payments volumes grew significantly on the back of strong customer demand from both new and existing customers, an industry-wide move to electronic payments and away from cash, and outstanding performance from some of our end markets, like golf and bike. We saw attach rates, that is the portion of new customers contracting for Lightspeed payments alongside their core subscription, remain at similar levels to the prior quarter in US retail. Payments for Canada for retail and US hospitality is off to a good start also. And despite these new markets being in early stages of rollout, the overall portion of customers contracting for light speed payments was strong at over 50% in the quarter. While we do expect some of this payments volume to wane as the seasonal aspect of these verticals starts to settle out in the fall, we are still only monetizing a small portion of our GTV through Lightspeed payments, and significant runway continues to exist here for future growth. As Dax mentioned, we're also now ready with the initial rollout of Lightspeed Capital for our US payments customers, which is something we think will be met with good long-term demand from our customer base. Lightspeed and Stripe have partnered to create this offering whereby we will utilize our deep customer insights and use Stripe's existing infrastructure to create tailored capital offers to our eligible merchants. Stripe and Lightspeed will share in the net profit from these cash advances, and Lightspeed will leverage Stripe's capacity for capital, keeping our own balance sheet strong to continue to pursue our growth strategies. Offers are already being served to initial set of customer prospects, and we'll be expanding this program throughout the balance of the year. Now, transitioning to our outlook for Q2 and beyond, our near-term visibility has improved, owing in part to our recurring software-first business model. We are assuming that heightened levels of churn remain for the foreseeable future, and are being cautious on both the anticipated new business volumes and customer GTV levels while the pandemic remains ongoing. All told, we expect Q2 revenue in the range of 38 to $40 million, and we expect Q2 EBITDA to be in the range a 7 to $8 million loss. Owing to the ongoing uncertainty regarding the duration and magnitude of the COVID-19 pandemic and any possibility of a resurgence, Lightspeed will not be providing full-year guidance at this time. With that, we'll turn it back to the operator for your questions.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And our first question comes from the line of Daniel Chan with, with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Hi. Good morning. Congratulations on a good quarter. Um just wondering if you guys can give us a little bit more detail around uh, Lightspeed Capital, uh, maybe provide uh, your thoughts on the timing of its rollout um, and, and how the economics work.
5: Sure. Hey, Dan. Um yeah so as uh, as you heard we've launched this initially with uh, with stripe uh through a partnership with them where we'll leverage stripe's capital infrastructure and lightspeed's knowledge of the customer to um to just get this out the door and see um and see how customer demand goes we're, we're pretty optimistic longer term this initial launch phase though um we really are taking kind of a uh, like we did with payments, a, a measured approach as we uh, as we launch this, uh, work out the customer workflows and uh, and generally test overall demand. So, um, kind of next quarter or two, don't expect uh, huge results from this as we do that. But uh, longer term, yeah, we think uh, we think this will be met with good long term demand.
4: Okay, sounds good. Uh, and then you also mentioned, uh, starting from last quarter, but you also mentioned again this quarter that um, you see a lot of opportunity displacing some of the legacy uh, on-prem POS systems. How many of your new wins would you say are competitive displacements from legacy systems? And are you seeing any opportunities for
6: displacing some of the newer cloud-based uh, POSs? Yeah, uh, maybe I'll, I'll take this one. Um, so, So generally speaking, the bulk of the market Roughly 80% of the market is legacy systems and, and it's a global fragmented market. So I think that's the, the good opportunity. And we think that with COVID, um, anyone who's on a legacy system now will want to move to platforms like ours because obviously you need to, to sell across channels. You need the online and the offline worlds need to need to merge. So that is really the, the bulk of, of, of the efforts for us. And with that in mind, the majority of our new customers come from legacy systems. Um this, so The second part of the question, the other cloud-based platforms, there's a clear differentiator between Lightspeed and all the other cloud-based POSs. We have a very deep functionality set, so it does happen that customers would start on, on the smaller platforms and then need uh, functionality that uh, that only Lightspeed can provide. And I think a good example of that is a lot of the cloud-based systems do not have e-commerce or... Or loyalty or or, you know curbside pickup and we're seeing a lot of traction there because you can't have a point solution and then integrate everything manually you need to have one vendor that has the integrated solutions
4: that makes sense last one for me um, now that you have greater visibility into the market looks like things are stabilizing and growing again your balance sheet remains really strong what what's your view on uh, on M&A at this stage and what are the opportunities looking like in pipeline thanks
2: so, um, yep, Brent, yeah, go do you want handle it? <laughs> sure Sure. Um, yeah,
5: we continue to be active there. Um, you know, we've always we've always said that M and A is an important part of the long term strategy, and uh, we continue to be active for sure, um, seeing lots of good opportunities um, in front of us, and
2: and uh, um, we uh, we'll continue to make this a priority for the business.
6: maybe one one point to add is we it's it's as we said it's uh you know every country has a sub sub power you know sub scale point of sale platform and uh here what we're seeing is that there's probably um some good opportunity for 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 consolidation as we move forward
2: Great. thank you
1: And our next question comes from a line of Dennis Mathopoulos, please, from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Hi, good morning. Uh, can you update us on your payment economics and then how that's been trending? Uh, on the one hand, you have more card not present, presumably on the other hand, you're doing some initial promotions. Um, so NetNet, net, how's, how's that shaking out?
5: Yeah, not, not too dissimilar from what we've always said. Thanos, you're right, there is uh, you know, a slight mixed change, Uh, online versus offline, and that carries slightly different economics for us. Um, uh, Likewise, you know, in Canada, um, the economics are slightly different than the U.S., but overall, you know, kind of our 2.6% and 65 to 70 basis point net, um, that's been holding for
7: us. Okay. And then looking at your guidance for next quarter, um, it implies a significant step up in OPEX. Um, I'm going to guess that a lot of that is is uh, a step up in sales and marketing, just given the improved environments, uh, more investment on new customer acquisition. Is that fair?
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when this thing all started, um, we we uh, we went into cost containment mode for sure, not knowing what we would necessarily expect from a uh, new business demand and so on. Um, and as you've seen today, I uh, to, Demand has been um, uh, has been good over the uh, past couple of months and into July. Um, so, yeah, ramping uh, ramping back up on some of that discretionary spend uh, around sales and marketing to meet the demand, and uh, um, uh, that's what you're seeing in the OpEx
7: guidance. Great. Uh, can you expand on the Google partnership? Um, should we be anticipating um, some associated revenue from this and? you kind of alluded to this maybe being the first step in a broader relationship. I uh, don't know if you can comment on, on that, but uh, any color would be helpful.
4: Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the broader relationship, I think it's uh, it's a series of initiatives that will help physical businesses be more discoverable online uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of revenue expectations. You know, we feel that uh, you know this is being integrated into our retail platform for now. I think it will increase the appeal of our, our retail platform as as do you know many of the other feature additions but uh, you know we're we're very excited to partner with Google to make our businesses um, uh, you know more omni-channel uh, through the through discoverability
7: great thanks guys glad to see the recovery in the business I'll pass the line.
1: and our next question comes from the line of Richard Teese with National Bank Financial please go ahead Yes, uh, thank you.
8: I'm just wondering if you guys uh, are maybe having to rethink the development roadmap, you know, given the backdrop, Um, you know, my guess is that some of these changes are permanent here, and like if that's the case, you know, what what will be the changes from the former path from a development perspective?
4: Well, from a development perspective, you know, we've seen an acceleration of Omni channel, which we've been, you know, talking about for at least five years. Uh, So, you know, there's an acceleration of that roadmap. And and as you've seen in the last, even just the last week, you know, we've rolled out more and more uh, tools for for merchants to be able to pivot to the the, the new consumer reality. Things like uh, our mobile tap solution, which allows curbside pickup and contact lists, digital wallet, uh, more analytics tools that are more uh, accessible. So things along those themes of uh, of being able to, to help, um merchants uh, you know adapt digitally and uh, and for their, their physical businesses and and we're seeing uh the blend of those uh the solutions that address the blend of those uh, be more and more um, requested and demanded and you'll see our roadmap uh continue to accelerate both for retail and hospitality uh in in, in those directions.
8: Okay. And like the the new win rates is really impressive in the batch out, especially given the churn. Um Can you maybe give us a bit more color on sort of the types of merchants you're drawing in? I get that, you know, you're offering this sort of broad, uh, sort of omni-channel offering, but uh, obviously, you know, those are really positive numbers. So is it sort of the typical complex merchants or is it the geography that's stronger than others? Maybe just touch a a color on that.
6: So I'll take this one. But um, so fundamentally, 80% of the market is legacy systems. And when you think about legacy systems, the, 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 even though they're not connected online, they're very rich, functionally speaking. So when you look at the type of customers that are moving towards Lightspeed, they're really the, the typical Lightspeed customers that need inventory, that need to understand their cost structure. So it's the more, let's say, the more advanced merchants that could not, uh, that, that were using the legacy systems and need a platform in the cloud that supports not only the kind of physical requirements for legacy, but also uh, supports omni-channel. So, Regardless of its restaurants or retail, these are the more sophisticated, and those uh, they're those who need to really understand their inventory and ingredients when you think about restaurants. And most of them uh, have, uh, um, you know, obviously have a physical presence and need to sell across channels. So the good news here is nothing has changed. It's really the segment in which we're strong, and we're seeing more demand than ever. And so that's why, going back to what Dax was saying, we're accelerating our roadmaps because we feel that there's going to be acceleration of adoption on the market. And we want to be sure that we're we're ahead of the game, and we're we're always the best solution for these types of ventures.
8: Okay, and just the last one for me uh, with respect to the earlier question on M and A, would you guys be thinking about focusing more on sort of expanding the channel, like you know, being successful and diversifying the business that way, or as opposed to sort of you know technology tuck-ins? Um, you know, which one are you kind of leaning towards?
6: We're gonna pursue, as we said, and we've always said, there are three um, um, three big, uh, big buckets. The first one is really uh, looking at a geographical uh, expansion. So looking at vendors that are uh, providing point solutions within verticals and industries where we have no presence. The second one is really looking at consolidating markets where we already have a presence. Um, and then the third one is really looking at expanding our, our, our capabilities. And I think you can expect uh, a mix of, of all of these as we go forward. Okay, great, thanks.
1: And our next question comes from the line of Paul Traber with RBC Capital. Please go ahead.
9: Oh, thanks very much and good morning. Just hoping that you could delve a bit more into the growth that you've seen in e-commerce. Uh, you come into the 100% year of your growth in the e-commerce GTV. Could you put some perspective around that, you know, how much percent of total GTV in the quarter relates to e-commerce, maybe how that compares versus maybe last quarter or last year?
5: Yeah. Um, hey, Paul. Um, uh, so, we saw, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, a pretty significant spike in e-commerce volumes in uh, in April and into May and then what we saw happen into into June and carrying through into July is that settled down a bit um, and the resurgence of, you know, the physical. So we sort of see this, you know, initial bubble of e-commerce where that becomes a much more significant portion of our overall GTV. And then that wane as the quarter goes on and and uh, the, the volume return to the physical space i think from our perspective um this is kind of what being omnichannel is all about um you know however that volume comes to our merchants making sure they're they're able to uh to catch it and um but yeah that's what we've seen in in terms of the the trends in the quarter so started with a lot more online obviously and by the end was getting back towards a more traditional mix albeit a little more tilted to digital um but a, a really strong recurrent, resurgence of both uh, uh, physical retail as well as dine-in on the restaurant side.
9: And when we think about that mix longer term in the transition to omnichannel, do you see a uh, like a natural know, equilibrium or, or target where, I don't know if it gets a 50-50 or, you know, a certain, if you want to throw out a certain number, you know, where you could see that getting to, um, you know, over over the next several years. I, I think the the first natural answer is it
6: depends on the type of retailer and the type of restaurateur. So if I'm a fine dine uh, restaurateur, uh, hopefully the bulk of my business will, will always be uh, uh, when people come to my restaurant. And the same thing is a lot of our retailers. If I'm a bike store, if I'm a, they do need service repair. So you'll you'll always have a, a I w- I would say the majority of the transactions be done in the physical world in these cases. However, if I'm a coffee shop or if I'm a you know quick serve takeaway, obviously there the the volumes are going to be much stronger now as we move forward with with anything around online uh, online uh, ordering and, and delivery. But I think generally speaking going back to what Brandon was saying is the pandemic hit forced everyone to stay home, so we saw a huge spike uh, at the beginning of the quarter with all the online and and at that point the you know uh, let's say, a big portion of the sales were done online. But I think here what we're seeing is we're going back to normal levels, you know, and uh, normal levels being, you know, 85 to, to 90% of, of transactions being done in, in the physical world.
9: Okay, thanks. For- but the, um, in similar, on a similar set of uh, lines, in terms of the growth in customer locations, um, you know, what's the, you know, quote, like, attach rate, of e-commerce websites to, you know, versus physical uh, locations, you know, how did that growth compare versus last quarter or last year? So I'll, I'll let Brendan talk about the numbers, but I can tell you
6: that the demand is very strong. So, you know, Dax mentioned we, we've been praising Omnichannel for five years. And before COVID, everybody was like, yeah, I love the strategy. We have time over time. And I think what happened since COVID, and, and I think that's the exciting part, is most of the customers who are talking to us, they have omni-channel in mind. So they're not looking at this as a long-term strategy. They're like, okay, I need a vendor that can provide all the abilities that I need for my back office and all the physical, but that can enable me to sell across channels. And so here, um, I think the conversation is changing quite a bit where uh, most of the merchants now need uh, the omni-channel or or see it as a short to to medium-term solution, whereas before it was very aspirational. So I think it makes us more relevant than ever in a sense that we don't have to explain now the need to sell across channels. We have a strong demand of people coming to us saying, hey, I'm on my legacy system. It's very difficult for me to, to sell online without having silos. Can you provide me one holistic view, one holistic solution that can help me kind of run my business in the new way of, uh, of transacting? So I don't know if I'm answering your questions, but Brendan, maybe you have the uh, more details on, uh, on attach rates.
5: No, I think you've uh, you've answered a while. I haven't really specifically broken that out, Paul. Um, um, But as JP mentioned, um, we're obviously seeing a lot more uh, e-commerce attach rates. Um, It's always been a a product that sold well for us, um,
2: but uh, doing significantly better uh, in light of the current environment, for sure.
9: Okay, thanks for taking my questions.
1: And our next question comes from the line of Gus Giorgio with PI Financial. Please go ahead.
8: Hi, good morning. Uh, congrats on a great quarter, and thanks for taking the question. Uh, just had a couple of questions. Um, I, I, I'm assuming the, a lot of the new customers that have come on board uh, have come on that um, reduced plans since you did offer some promotions to get new customers. Can you tell us, if they were to be paying full price, would, would that have made a material impact in the quarter? Um, and what do you think the odds are that they'll renew their subscription once their uh, one year term is over? And then secondly, just on capital, uh, can you tell us, are you, do you plan to to finance this from your own balance sheet or are you going to be looking for partners and are you going to be insuring some of the loans like using partner, like partners like Export Development Canada? Thanks.
5: Hey guys. Um, so yeah, in terms of your first question, was it significant in terms of, uh, well, um, I'll paraphrase, but some of the pause subscriptions and concessions we made uh, you know for sure that was a, that was an impact on subscription revenue. you know we, we said last quarter um, under 5% of our customers had uh, had paused subscription plans uh, and you know that comes right out of the revenue line um, along with the discounts uh, that we offered to new customers to, to join and to adopt new tools that's obviously uh, has an impact on revenue. Um, uh, so for for sure, we saw that uh, we're we're pretty optimistic. I mean, we monitor the health of the customer base and you know what percentage are getting transactional and so on. But we're pretty optimistic on um, you know the types of merchants we attract aren't really tire kickers. Um, uh, so we're pretty optimistic that the uh, the conversions will happen as uh, as really they always have for our our customer base. But uh, you know. We'll keep a close eye on that uh, as the as the year plays out. Um, and then on capital, uh, as we mentioned, we're starting with Stripe, um, leveraging Stripe's infrastructure and their capacity to do capital. Meaning, um, this isn't coming off our own balance sheet here to start. Um, so, uh, so won't be an impact uh, from our standpoint on that, and therefore, no need for for insurance. I think as this program matures, you know, we'll see where it goes, um, you know, we're, we're excited to get this in market, uh, offer it to our merchants, uh, try and help during this difficult time for many of them. Um, and, and we're really excited about the future of it. But to start, uh, this, is, uh, this is something we'll be offering
2: alongside uh, our great partner, Stripe. Great, thanks.
1: And our next question comes from the line of Suthan Sukumar with 8Capital. Please go ahead.
0: Good morning, guys, and uh, congrats on a, on a strong quarter. Um, first question for me is on um, some product and on on module adoption trends. Um, kind of when looking at your broader portfolio of add-ons available to your, to your merchant base, um am curious what you're seeing in terms of demand from your existing base over the course of the pandemic compared to what some of the, the new merchants have been adding to the core platform right out of the gate. Yeah.
6: Um, so I think,
2: um, again, everything,
6: adoption of digital solutions is, is really what we've seen throughout the quarter, and this is where existing customers are getting to. us. So uh, the simplest of examples is if I'm a restaurateur. And you know my restaurant is closed. We had a lot of customers come to us with uh, requirements for our delivery platform and curbside pickup platforms. So we sold quite a few of those. And then when you're when you look at our retail customers, obviously all of those who didn't have uh, who didn't have e-commerce came to us asking for the omni-channel package. We saw also a lot of adoption on payments because uh, what what's happening is as people are trying to save costs, they're trying to buy more from one vendor hoping that the bundled cost will uh, will be lower so we've seen quite a bit of that and finally uh, omnichannel uh, loyalty you know we launched our loyalty platform that enables customers to redeem points and re-engage mm-hmm. across different channels and so that also had a lot of adoption so uh, I think again the way we're looking at this is we had built this kind of this very sophisticated solution uh, over time of modules that were really good for Anything digital, and we're seeing a lot of adoption from that, so even though churns are slightly higher than they've been in the past, we've seen a lot of adoptions of the existing customers of the new modules, which which helped out quite a bit.
0: great, thanks and um, just with respect to the competitive landscape, um, how are you guys seeing your your peers, um, especially your cloud based peers, adapt their strategy with respect to go to market or or product and uh, and secondly. Um, do you guys see an opportunity to enhance your go-to-market approach even further? Uh,
6: so obviously the enhanced we're thinking about that every day, trying to make it better. Just uh, I'll address that one, and then I'll talk about competition. Um, the, the way we enhance our go-to-market is by looking at unit economic and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how can we do better at the same uh, with the same rates. And so here a good example is uh, because I have a strong attach rate on payments. I can now obviously spend a little bit more money to keep the same uh, uh, unit economics, and so that's how we see acceleration it's really by deploying uh, all of our new platforms and especially all the financial platforms uh, globally and so we've as you know, we started in the u s then we moved to Canada, then we moved to restaurants u s and canada and now we're working hard to deploy um, this year, hopefully by the end of the year to, to deploy our payments globally because that's how we're going to accelerate adoption it's by having Uh, um, a better LTV because of the attach rates and and the better economics on payments and so we can hopefully spend more uh, and and attract more new customers by keeping the same unit economic. Um, So talking about competition, I mean, we've always had competition. I'm just going to go back to the market. Uh, It's a very big fragmented market Um, we operate in in, in many different countries and in many different continents and we do not see the same competition everywhere. Um, Now, this being said. Uh, we understand our segment of the market very well, and we have the best solution on the market for our segment. So um, where we do see competition is, is in the customers that are maybe not a perfect fit for us, or maybe customers that are not as, uh, you know, maybe slightly smaller or slightly bigger. But we haven't seen a lot of change in the in the competitive dynamics. Um, our close rates have gone up, so we're very excited about that. And um, I think maybe the other point, just to add on, on competition, is I think there's a lot of vendors out there that offer point solutions that are maybe not offering e-commerce they're not offering loyalty. And we think it's going to be a bit bit more difficult for the vendors that have point solutions because of the market dynamics. And as I said, a lot of the customers are coming to us now not just for a point of sale, but they're coming to us for a full set of of commerce solutions. And I think it's it's probably going to be more difficult if you're a cloud-based vendor and you're offering a point solution versus a light speed that offers true omnichannel.
0: Thank you for the call, guys. I'll pass the line. Thank you.
1: And, ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star 1 on your telephone. And our next question comes from the line of Josh Beck with KBCM. Please go ahead.
10: Hi, all. This is Alex Marcrafon for Josh. Um, This is more of an extension of a few earlier questions, but just as it relates to the, the new customers you see coming onto the platform, um, you know, are you seeing customers that are, that are kind of online first and, and more secondarily adopting point-of-sale solutions, or is it still kind of largely you know, point-of-sale first and then you
6: know, good e-com attach rates? So we do, we do see a bit of both, but the, the vast majority are customers that have a physical presence and need to shift from selling across one channel to selling online and, 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 and adopting to the new models. But we do have uh, – we do always, and we've always had customers who were uh, digital first and also, uh, and also selling in-store. Just going back to what Brandon was saying, for us what's important is not so much where they sell, but it's to provide the full solution to, to enable any kind of model to work. And if, if your model is pure digital and then you want to do pop-ups, it, it does work with Lightspeed and vice versa. If your model is, I've always been selling in-store all my life, or, or – or, you know, serving uh, customers in my fine-dined restaurant, and now I need to sell online, we can very easily adapt to any model.
10: Okay. Oh, great, very helpful. Um, and then just the last question, um, you know, as it relates to the payments offering, I mean, can you just kind of talk about the progress with the Stripe partnership? And, you know, are there any offerings um, that you rolled out recently that are kind of directly attributable to, attributable to that relationship that maybe you weren't able to, to
4: roll out with other payments partners? Yeah, so we, you know, in in this, uh, I believe it's been a quarter or two where we rolled out uh, Stripe and and then uh, extended from U.S. retail to Canada retail and U.S. resto. So we've seen progress and uptake uh, in, in all of those um, uh, all of those markets, and uh, and and are, are excited with uh, with the solution that we've been able to provide. Uh, you know, this last week we we released a mobile tap, uh, which uh, allows for curbside pickup, and there's an integrated iPad custom solution. Uh, hardware solution that uh, probably only possible uh, given Stripe's hardware that we're able to uh, that we're able to integrate into our custom solution so that's a good example of uh, contactless payment and curbside pickup enabled by um, enabled by uh, devices that we that we have uh, worked on with Stripe perfect thank you very much and that
10: I, I guess just maybe maybe one extension of that um, you know the, the comment about um, you know rolling out payments more globally, I mean, is that something that you would attribute to
4: expanded relationships on the payment side as well? Yeah, we will have to expand relationships to to cover other, um, you know, other regions. Uh, and uh, we'd like to, our, our ambition is to be uh, be able to serve our European and uh, and APAC customers, uh, you know, by the end of the fiscal year with uh, speed payments.
2: Okay, great. Thanks very much.
1: And our next question comes from the line of Todd Cuplin from CIBC. Please go ahead.
11: Yeah, good morning. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, the guidance and seasonality uh, when we should expect, uh, I guess, bike and and golf and garden to uh, slow a bit. Just talk about that. Uh, Will we see that in the September quarter? Will it take to the December quarter for that to flow in?
5: Yeah, we're. I mean, I think it's been an extraordinary period of time for bike shops and uh, and home and garden and some of these uh, verticals that we serve very well. Um, So we're planning on that, um, you know, as you said, Todd, almost uh, into uh, starting to wane in the fall. We think um, we're planning for it to continue through the second quarter for the most part and then uh, into the fall um, start to see that wane a little bit, you know. With any luck, offsetting that will be, um, you know, a good holiday season for retailers and restaurants. Um, but of course, um, we'll have to monitor how the whole pandemic plays out by then, and and what impact it may have uh, into the fall and uh, and winter periods. But um, that's what we're that's our best uh, our best insight right now into the seasonality that we're seeing. Okay.
11: And then uh, just on restaurant. You know, obviously, uh, restaurants have, have opened up in uh, the regions that uh, you're focused in, and they're seeing uh, good good in-room in dining. Um, just wondering though, how you're thinking about the, the waves of the, of the pandemic versus government support and churn rates and, and all of that over the next few quarters. Have you learned, learned enough about the restaurant market to give any insight into that? Thanks a lot.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we what we're, what we're seeing in the customer base is a, a resiliency that we hope to see. Um, you know, that we do think we have a, a merchant base that uh is you know well equipped to to weather periods of hardship and uh um and certainly we're testing that at the moment. Uh, but I think just how that's that's played out as we've watched kind of the first wave go through has reinforced that. Um but, you know, looking forward, there, there certainly is um, uh, uncertainty. It's, uh, we'll have to watch it closely as uh, these peaks and troughs happen throughout, uh, throughout the world. But, uh, you know, I think what we've seen at least through this first wave is, uh, is a customer base that's um, um, better equipped to kind of uh, get through these, these moments in time.
6: And Great. I think maybe the biggest indicator there is transaction volumes. And so we're keeping a close eye on that. But we're happy to see that the transaction volumes have gone back up or are very close to pre-pandemic, especially in the restaurants. So it, it, it is an indicator that, you know, the businesses are getting healthier. But as, as Brandon said, we need to, we need to, to keep our eye on, on churn. Uh, JP, just one quick follow-up on
11: that so with curbside starting to fill in and help restaurants you know is that you know a 10% lift for restaurants that are operating at a third capacity or 50% what 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 are you seeing across the platform for for curbside and and uh, delivery
6: it depends on the restaurant again so um if you think about quick serve we even have quick serve restaurants that are doing much better just with curbside pickup now than they were before so i think it's it's really the uh, the dynamics when you're, when you're selling online are very different, so you need to have a different mindset and, and, and be connected to the right marketplaces and, and be visible. But uh, it really depends on the types of restaurants, but those who have adopted it well, we've seen a very significant pickup uh, in, in, their, in their digital revenues, just put it that way.
2: Thanks for the call. Thanks.
1: And our final question comes from the line of Ken Jen Wong with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
2: Hey, thanks so much. Good morning. Really encouraging uh, results. Just thinking about some of the answers you guys gave uh, around
6: Omni um, and the roadmap there. Is the end goal to to be, you know, let's say indifferent between a digital
5: first and a physical world first uh, retailer? Um, I'm just
2: curious if that's even in in the opportunity set of, of things that you're you're considering, in terms of roadmap product roadmap.
4: Yeah, I think that's our perspective. You know, I think that uh, the businesses will start from different starting points, and I think that our vision's always been to to have strong digital and physical tools where that are that serve as as different entry points. Um, and uh, you know, we've seen businesses uh, that started just before the pandemic and moved completely to delivery. Um, as the pandemic set in, you know, within a few weeks of them opening, uh, and uh, and and be largely a digital business, you know, in these in these fir- first months, to the degree that they've opened second locations from which uh, they're doing they're doing delivery, and now as as dining rooms are, are reopening, they're doing both, you know, and so that's the kind of business that we that we for, for, foresee, you know, really helping to light up. Both physical and digital strategies, and so uh, yeah, and, uh, I think that Lightspeed solution is uh, ha- has that depth, uh, and definitely has that uh, has those entry points for people to to start on uh, whatever makes sense for the business model.
6: And, and maybe if I could,
2: Go ahead.
6: sorry, maybe if I, if I could just add it. It's always been um, f- for us. It, it's always been kind of the core of everything we've done with selling cross channels, and we want to be sure we'll continue doing that. Sure understood and I mean Brendan, when you're just thinking about you know with omni and and more card not present and and things like that on the payment side are you change, have you seen any change in, in in fraud or you know some chargebacks or need to to reserve for that? I'm just curious what what's been what's been going on the underwriting side where where you are the payment facilitator
5: we haven't we haven't seen any uh, meaningful um Fraud that we haven't uh, detected or recovered or helped our merchants through, um, we have seen a greater um, incident rate of it. Um, but again, the types of merchants we serve, just um, this isn't a this isn't a huge um, huge category risk for us. Um, so yeah, we've seen a we have seen an uptick in kind of uh, potential incidents, but it's all been stuff we've uh, we've managed
2: through. And helped our merchants through. Okay, that's why. Yeah, knock on wood. Great results, guys. Thanks.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of our allotted time. Thank you for your participation, and you may now disconnect.